We are going to continue our study tonight on spiritual warfare. Uh, tonight we, w- we will be discussing the Dominion Mandate, and perhaps uh, in a little bit different tack than is normally presented, uh, but we'll continue. Matthew chapter 6, verse 10 says, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Obviously, we understand this is part of the Lord's Prayer. But we can glean some truths from this verse. The first is that God has a kingdom. It's not, he's not the president. He's not the pope. He is the king. And he is God. And he is the sole authority in this kingdom. He's it. It is his desire to establish this kingdom here on earth. That is his desire. He goes on to say, Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Now, I have gone to great lengths to establish the fact that the spiritual world is superior to the physical. Okay, and I still assert that. However, that does not mean that the physical is not also important. We will see as this study progresses that the Lord has plans for the here and now. He created the earth as well as the heaven. Genesis 1.1 says, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. He did that for a reason. There's a reason we're walking around today in physical bodies and not spirit beings. He wants us to be able to interact with this physical world that he created. And so he gave us a vehicle in which to do that, a physical body. The Lord instituted both. This world is important. God created this world. He created everything in the physical and said after all of it was done that it was very good. 1 Timothy 4 and 8 says, For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. So here we see again that Uh, The spiritual is superior to the physical. However, the spiritual is supposed to influence the physical. It's supposed to influence the physical. What godliness we attain is profitable unto all things, both here and and in the hereafter. Genesis one twenty eight says, And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. Now this is typically where we would derive the dominion mandate. And in this verse, God is giving us dominion over His creation. 
We understand, of course, that that doesn't mean we have the right to abuse the creation. We don't have the right to use it up for our personal gain, but we are to be stewards of God's creation. That includes our physical bodies. Amen. We are to be stewards of those as well. Moving from that, though, we have been mandated to bring the kingdom of God to earth. Now, that can go too far as well. Uh, At the turn of the 20th century, uh, there were beliefs going around that uh, we were going to be able to usher in the millennial reign of Jesus Christ simply by winning enough people to the Lord, winning everybody to the Lord. And then at that point, Jesus would come and that would be it. That is would be really cool. But that's not how it's going to work, unfortunately. Uh, there will be few that be that find this. However, that doesn't mean that we are to uh, just sit back and wait for Jesus to come. I have also taught, and, and others here have taught, that you know we can't simply just lay in our bed all day praying and fasting and then expect Jesus to do something. We do need to pray and fast, absolutely. Uh, but afterward, uh, we need to get out and do something about those prayers. Make those prayers happen. And so, uh, once we have... Once we have conducted business in the spiritual, there are things in the natural that need to transpire. They need to take place. We see in the ministry of Jesus Christ, obviously, that he prayed a lot. However, Jesus also learned to trade. He also healed the physical bodies of the sick. He provided for their natural sustenance as well as the spiritual. He was concerned with the natural well-being of people as well as the spiritual. So we see, at least in the mind of God, that the natural has some importance as well. I'm going somewhere with this. As Scripture is to be applied to every area of our lives, so also our dominion mandate extends to every area of life, legal, political, social, economic, etc. We are to transform our society and bring it in line within God's precepts. Primarily, this will be done through salvation. I believe with all of my heart that if we do save enough people, that will by default start transforming our social structure, our society at large. If we win the majority of La Crosse County, for example we would not have a whole lot of problems the way we do now. A lot of the social challenges that the church faces today would simply disappear. Simply because as someone comes to the Lord, they desire to please the Lord. They govern themselves accordingly. And so, as we desire to please God and we transform ourselves and we allow God to come in and transform us into His image, 
We start looking like Jesus Christ. We start acting like it. When we go to the voting booth, we start voting like Jesus would. We start... Uh, the, the businesses that we support are businesses that would not displease God at, at least. <clears throat> so primarily this will be done through salvation. Again, the most important step anyone can take. After that, we are to be salt and light in our society, influencing the direction of our culture. Now we understand that we do this ultimately out of a sense of love. We love Jesus. We have accepted that He loves us, and because of that, I can love my fellow man. I can love him to the point of of sacrificing for him, ministering to his needs. So anything that is going to be accomplished... I'm going to talk about hate in a little bit, things that we ought to hate. But before I do that, I want to first establish that our primary motivation is out of love. That's God's primary motivation. There are things that God hates, and we ought to hate those things as well. However, we need to love the things that God loves. 1 Corinthians 13, 1-7. This will be familiar to a lot of you. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity or love, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could move mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing." Charity suffereth long, and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. So we absolutely need to be motivated to influence our society, to win the lost, to please Jesus out of a sense of love, not out of a sense of duty or guilt or obligation, but because we love. Jesus loved me, therefore I can love you. And as an aside, I can love me as well. I'm not talking about a weird self-love I'm talking about I can see myself as Jesus sees me and I can operate accordingly. Now, because we want the whole package, we also need to hate the things Jesus hates. Loving, paradoxically enough, is going to cause us to hate some things as well. What does Jesus hate? He hates sin in all of its forms, all of its manifestations. He hates sin. He hates unrighteousness. Why? Because he's just a hater, I guess. No. 
That's not it. He hates sin because he loves you. That's the reason he hates sin. Because of what it does to you. He hates it with a, with a, a passion. He hates it absolutely. Because of what it does to you and me. And because Jesus hates sin, we need to hate sin in all of its myriad forms. When temptation presents itself, that ought to make us angry. That ought to make us angry that this thing is coming around me right now. Because I promise you, sin isn't coming knocking at my door so it can offer me a good time. It couldn't care less if I'm having a good time or not. Sin is knocking at my door because sin hates me and wants to destroy me. The enemy comes knocking to steal and to kill and to destroy. He doesn't love you. He's not offering you a break, a little sneak over here where we can just enjoy ourselves for a little bit, let our hair down. Yeah, I meant that. <laughs> I've already let all my hair down. So we need to hate these things as well. We need to hate them in our lives. When they approach other people, we need to hate that as well. Not the sinner. Once again, we don't hate sinners. We hate the sin. We hate the sin because of what it does to the sinner. Jesus suffered on a cross and died for the sinner. He loves that sinner. He loved me when I was a sinner. But we hate the sin because of what it does. And in a manner of speaking, sometimes it's easy to let that love overflow into areas that not, not, it ought not flow into. When all we focus on is the love of Jesus, the mercy of Jesus. And just between you and me and this mic, I would rather stay there. I'd just rather focus on his love and mercy. Truly, I would. That's not all of Jesus. That's not all of God. God is also a just and a righteous judge. And he will judge unrighteousness and sin. And because of that, we ought to move with fear and with dread, ministering to those who are still entrapped in that. Because if no one warns them, If no one tells them what's to come, they will die in their sin. We can get too easily comfortable or forget altogether the sins of an individual, a society, a nation. It's easy to do because, well, at least until recently, it happens gradually. Kind of like the uh, the frog in a pot of boiling water. You throw him into the boiling pot and he'll jump right out. 
But if you just turn it up real slow, he'll cook to death. They won't even know. Don't get comfortable with sin. Again, the world is not our standard. The Bible is our standard. Jesus Christ is our standard. And I don't care where the world is, up here or way down here. I'm not going to measure myself by that. I'm going to measure myself with the book. We can justify them, sin, by saying it's for the greater good. It's for our safety. Oh, he's a good guy. I've heard people say that. I've no doubt people used to say that about me. We cannot justify sin. We cannot justify unrighteousness. We can rationalize them because that's just easier and cleaner than doing the work of confrontation, than doing the work of calling it out and dealing with it. That's uncomfortable. John the Baptist, he called out Herod's sin. He didn't do it because it was rebellious. He didn't do it to get even, to fight the man. He did it because he loved Herod. And if he didn't warn Herod, he was going to die in his sin. We're the church of the living God. And we have got to be, we have got to be comfortable calling out sin in all of its myriad form, not judgmentally, not condemningly, but warning people out of love. I thank God someone warned me, that someone let me know Jesus, in his earthly ministry, demonstrated both his love for humanity and his hatred of sin. But again, that's hard work. That's uncomfortable work. And most people nowadays, they like to talk. They like to talk it out. I like listening to... Uh, different things on, on YouTube, different news outlets and things like that. More and more because it's amusing. These people will get on, talk show hosts, news anchors, uh, news, third party news outlets, and they'll talk and they'll talk and they'll talk, telling me, telling us all about what Biden said last week and all about what Biden is doing this week and why he's such a bad president. And just a couple of years ago, we heard the same thing about Trump, why he was a bad president and everything he was tweeting and talking about. Yeah, Biden is doing all this stuff, but you know what? Who's going to do anything about it? He's going to do stuff next week. And they're going to talk about that. And he'll do stuff next month. And they're going to talk about that.
but no one's doing anything. And I'm, I want to bring this back to the spiritual. There are plenty of Christians on the radio, Christians that we live next to maybe, Christians on the, the uh, YouTube channels, Christians in churches every Sunday, talking about what's wrong with the world, talking about all the sin and the degradation out there. <laughs> Absolutely. I agree 100%. It's all out there. But who's positioned to do something about it? You are. I am. We're positioned to do something about it. We know it's out there. We know it's wrong. We know it needs to be fixed. We know what the fix is. Now all we got to do is go out and do it. We've read enough books. There's enough books out there talking about it. We don't need any more books. We don't need any more sermons on the topic. We really don't. We need preaching. But I don't, I don't think we need too many more sermons on this particular topic. We know what we need to do. Ezekiel 13, 1-5 says, And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, Prophesy against the prophets of Israel that prophesy, and say thou unto them that prophesy out of their own hearts. Hear ye the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God, Woe unto the foolish prophets that follow their own spirit, and have seen nothing. O Israel, thy prophets are like the foxes in the deserts. Ye have not gone up into the gaps, neither made up the heads for the house of Israel to stand in the battle in the day of the Lord. It's coming soon. And there are, there are Christians, there are people all over the country telling us that things are okay. They're going to be fine. It's okay to live like that. It's okay to say those things. It's okay to frequent these businesses. It's okay just to live the way you want to. Just love Jesus. Just worship Jesus. There are Christians saying that, that the things going on in our society are fine. There are Christians that are saying the things going on morally in our society are okay. Did you know that there are Christians professing evangelical Christians that believe it's okay to murder babies? How is that even possible? They profess to be serving the Lord God. But they're fine voting for people that will kill human babies. And that's just one example. I could go on a myriad of examples, and so could you. False prophets. This doctrine doesn't matter. That doctrine doesn't matter. This is okay. That's okay. Just serve Jesus. Just love Jesus. This will all get together and be one great big happy stinking family. But you know what? That's not the, that's not the case. That's not true at all. It's not okay. Ezekiel 22, 23 through 31 says this. Something's very similar. 
And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, say unto her, Thou art the land that is not cleansed, nor rained upon in the day of indignation. There is a conspiracy of her prophets in the midst thereof, like a roaring lion ravening the prey. They have devoured souls. They have taken the treasure and precious things. They have made her many widows in the midst thereof. Her priests have violated my law and have profaned mine holy things. They have put no difference between the holy and profane. Neither have they showed difference between the unclean and the clean, and have hid their eyes from my Sabbaths, and I am profaned among them. Her princes are in the midst thereof, are like wolves ravening the prey, to shed blood and to destroy souls, to get dishonest gain. And her prophets have daubed them with untempered mortar, seeing vanity and divining lies unto them, saying, Thus saith the Lord God, when the Lord has not spoken. The people of the land have used oppression and exercised robbery and have vexed the poor and needy. Yea, they have oppressed the stranger wrongfully. Does that sound vaguely familiar? And I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it. But I found none. Therefore, have I poured out my indignation upon them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath. Their own way have I recompensed upon their heads, saith the Lord God. It is God's perfect will to establish His kingdom on earth. That goes beyond salvation of the lost. But we ought to be influencing our society for Jesus Christ. We ought to be influencing our elected officials for Jesus Christ. And it's very possible I might be getting dangerously close here to crossing a line with the tax-exempt stuff. But folks, we are citizens of not only the kingdom of God, We are also citizens of the United States of America. And we have responsibilities as citizens. This society that we live in, for better or for worse, is our fault. This is ours. Are we satisfied with that? There are religious leaders in the world today telling us that the Bible is an error on this point or that. People in seminaries telling us this isn't really the Word of God. People in seminaries telling us that there is no hell. People teaching future pastors and ministers that God may or may not exist. Believe it. That the Bible is mistranslated. That it's not relevant to us today. There are Christians in the world today that are okay with the status quo. They're fine with letting things go on as they are as long as their lifestyle remains unaffected. As long as it doesn't touch me. Live and let live.
when things are not okay. The sin in the world is not okay. And this idea that God wants us to be happy. Please. Do you think Jesus was happy when he was on earth? He's just yucking it up on the cross, wasn't he? Just one joke after another. Just a good old time. When they called him liar, they plucked his beard, wouldn't believe him. There's all kinds of fun. God's interested in our salvation. He never said anything about us being happy. Thank God we can have joy and we can have peace. But if you're searching for happiness, don't search for happiness. That is a shortcut to misery. And the Bible is the very word of truth. There are no errors. There are no inconsistencies. And it is the most relevant message we'll ever find today. If you'd like, you think there is an inconsistency, I would love to talk with you about it. Truly. Truly I would. But there are none. There are a few seeming inconsistencies, but if you dig just a little deeper, you'll find them quickly resolved. And the status quo is, in reality, the exact direction the enemy wants us to go. And I promise you, you let him go long enough in that direction, and your lifestyle will most certainly be affected. My son gave me this quote a little while ago. This is from Pastor Martin Neomoller. He was a uh, he was a pastor as the Nazis were coming into power. Later on, he wrote this. First, they came for the socialists, and I did not speak out because I wasn't a socialist. Then they came for the trade union unionists. And I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews. And I did not speak out because I wasn't a Jew. Then they came for me. But by then there was no one left to speak for me. If you want to influence a life for Jesus Christ... If you want to influence this society for Jesus Christ, the time is now. Not next week, not next month, the time is right now. Today is the day of salvation. Before it's too late. There are people being thrust headlong into eternity every single day. Most certainly, elderly people but also middle-aged people, young people, children, babies. They're all of them being thrust into eternity. 
How long do we have? How long do you have? Do I have? We don't know. We don't know how long we have to be a positive influence. Second Chronicles seven fourteen, very familiar to most of us. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, and will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. We have a responsibility to the souls of this area. But we also have a responsibility for our society. That is also entrusted to us. We are to be salt and light in this world. We are to be influencing our society, not be influenced by it. How are we going to do that? First of all, we have to love our land. We have to love our neighbor. We have to love the society that God has planted us in. When we truly love something, we're going to find an excuse to make it happen. We're going to spend the time, we're going to spend the money. We're going to spend the resources at our disposal necessary to get done what we really want to get done. And we're going to get done what we love to do. We'll find a reason to do it. We'll make an excuse to do it. But it's not going to get done by someone berating us, someone guilting us, someone trying to, even the responsibility of it probably won't last long term. It's a good start. Most things are a good start. But you won't continue on guilt. You won't continue on fear. You won't continue on obligation. At some point, it's got to get in here. And I submit to you humbly that only God can do that. So if you don't love your fellow man, if you don't love our society enough to do something about it right now, seek the face of God. Ask God to put his love in our hearts. Because I promise you, When we start loving like that, when we start seeing things as Jesus sees them, we'll be moved to action. We'll be moved to sacrifice. We'll be moved to stay up late, get up early, spend whatever we need to spend to make this happen. But it won't happen for any other reason. Jesus didn't do it out of a sense of obligation either. 
Jesus did it and continues to do it out of love. Well, how does this look? How does it look when we're done? When we're doing it? Well, I suppose we'd be done if everybody in La Crosse County were saved. Every single person. I suppose we'd be done when our society, our laws, reflected biblical principles. I suppose we'd be done when they're teaching scripture, prayer, godliness in our schools. Until then, we have work to do. Not talk, not focus groups, work. It starts like everything does with prayer, fasting, getting a burden, touching the throne of God so that he begins to move. God's got to be in this. He has to be the prime mover in all of this. He's the only one that can affect change. He's the only one that can save. He's the only one that can deliver. The dominion mandate that we've been given certainly applies to the physical creation. But it extends beyond that. It expands, to the so, it expands to the social order, our government structure, our society, our culture. All of that is in our purview. All of that we have been given dominion over. All of that we have authority to exercise in God's behalf, bringing the kingdom of God down to earth, establishing God's kingdom here on earth. When we plant churches, that's exactly what we're doing. We're establishing God's kingdom on earth. That is exactly what we're doing. And it's got to get done. It's got to be done. Let's all stand.